0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three guys who have stomachs full of motor oil with nothing better to do. I'm Austin Terry. I'm Matt Johnson. And I'm Keith Baker. On today's show, we'll be continuing our series on Daniel Craig's James Bond with 2008's Quantum of Solace. But first, Matt, how
1: was WandaVision this week? WandaVision was good. You know, we've been talking about The Mandalorian for a long time, so it's only fitting that Disney Plus has put out their first marvel you know mcu series so it was fun to break it down if you guys checked out the episodes they just put out we just recorded our very own so check your podcast feeds wherever you get your podcast and you can hear us break down the first couple of episodes
0: all right guys everybody have a good week i have some big news
1: Ooh, fill us in
0: what's that my uh day job just announced that we are switching to unlimited paid vacation so I don't know what that means in our current state of affairs because I can't take a vacation. But when I do take one, I'll still be getting
1: paid. Well, I'm sure whenever uh, things go back to normal, they'll probably take that away. So I'm sure they will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Keith? How, how how are things going in your neck of the woods, as Al Roker might say?
2: Uh, you know, we just talked about a little bit before the podcast, but got off a lot later than I thought. And But you know what? I was like, I'm going to go home. I'm going to eat some food, and I'm going to talk Quantum of Solace with my boys.
1: I'm, I'm glad you said that, Keith, because I'm so excited to be doing that with you. But I think for right now, we have to break it down because I'm so glad this happened organically. Austin said Quantum of Solace. Keith said Quantum of Solace. I frankly think both sound pretty good, but it also forced me to realize I don't know how to say this word. I think it is <laughs> Solace, and this is just another case of me not knowing how to, how to talk good. <laughs> talk good. <laughs> Oh my god. We'll we'll be talking about the title of this movie later cuz does it make sense? I don't think so. But we'll we'll get into it.
0: <laughs> okay, well today we will be discussing the much maligned sophomore outing for Daniel Craig as James Bond, Quantum of Solace. We all love Casino Royale and it's been a while since revisiting Quantum. 13 years removed since its release, does this movie deserve all the hate, guys? What do we think?
2: Initial thoughts, it doesn't deserve all the hate that it initially got. Because, I mean, on a second viewing for me, uh, I enjoyed it a lot more than I did the first time I watched this movie.
1: I'm right there with you. I think I might even be more leaning towards positive than you guys. We'll see what Austin thinks. But I, yeah, I I think the general sentiment, though, I definitely agree with Keith. Does it deserve all the hate that it seemingly kind of got at release and only seemed to... Get more and more as time went on? I think definitely not. I think this movie has a lot of good stuff going for it. I think it's a fun watch and the simple, you know, question that people will ask, but then you have to compare it to Casino Royale, especially since this is a direct sequel. And yeah, it's not as good, for sure, in my opinion at least. But I don't think it deserves all the hate. I had a really good time watching this one.
0: Is it as bad as I remember it being? Certainly not. I still don't think it's that great though. And I think if you look at it in the context of all of, the Daniel Craig movies, I think this one probably
1: still stays at the bottom, but oh, I do. I definitely me. do think
0: it is better than I remembered it being.
1: God, as you guys know, I cannot wait to get to Spectre. Spectre is my easy bottom, so I can't wait to see what you guys think on a rewatch.
0: <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead and roll that music, and when we come back, we'll be diving into Quantum of Solace. Do you mean our podcast music, or do you mean, another way to die? Dude, that theme <laughs> song is terrible in
1: this one. <laughs> I kind of liked it. I, I kind of liked it.
0: All right, let's get into our movie facts. Keith, take it away with our cast and crew. Cast and crew, yeah. So this one is directed by Mark Forster.
2: Uh, you may know him from Munster's Ball, Finding Neverland, Stranger Than Fiction,
0: World War Z. One letter away from being Forrester, which would be a lot easier to say.
2: I know.
1: I keep, I keep messing this one up on accident. <laughs>
0: All right. Screenplay by Neil Purvis, Robert
2: Wade, and Paul Haggis. Mm-hmm. Uh, composed by David Arnold, along with the James Bond theme by Monty Norman. Featuring Another Way to Die, written by White Stripes Jack White and performed by Jack White and Alicia Keys. Uh, of course, we got Daniel Craig as James Bond 007. We have Olga Kurilenko as Camille Montez. We have Matthew Almerich as Dominic Green. Giancarlo Giannini as Mathis. Gemma Alterton as MI6 agent Strawberry Fields. Jesper Christensen returns as Mr. White. And Stranger Things, David Harbour as Greg Beam and Roy. Kenyer as Bill Tanner, and we got Jeffrey Wright returning as Felix Leiter, and Judy Dench as
0: M. Mm. So, guys, what's your thoughts on the cast and crew? I mean, this, the two standouts for me in this movie are definitely Judy Dench and Olga. I think they're both fantastic in their roles, and I honestly, without this movie, I don't know how this movie is even like a semblance of being good without those two in this one.
1: Interesting, interesting. What about you, Keith? I like the way Austin put that kind of singling some out. What about you? Are there any on here that you would call your highlight? Uh, Yeah, I really enjoyed Felix
2: in this one, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot how big of a part he played in Quantum, and I really enjoyed uh, Jeffrey Wright's performance in it, uh, returning as him. So yeah, I'll, that's my
1: highlight. I agree with you guys. I think everything you have said so far is certainly a highlight, but just to kind of uh, mix it up, I would say... Maybe this is controversial. I don't know if this is a hot take. We'll talk about it later for sure. I really like Matthew Almerich as Dominic Green, and I like Dominic Green as a character. I think it's this really kind of normal guy. It's not the traditional Bond thing. It's not you know. It's not Mads Mikkelsen as Le Chiffre with a messed up eye that's bleeding all the time. It's just a pretty normal dude for the most part. But his plan is just absolutely nefarious, and I loved watching it come together and him being the villain was so cool. Mathis being back, I loved him. And yeah, those are my highlights, I would say. I think Daniel Craig, of course, I think it can kind of go without saying. He looks good in the action scenes. I like his version of Bond and it's another good performance. But yeah, I think you guys nailed it. I think these lots of highlights in here for sure. You know, maybe the movie's not as good, but I think there's lots of individual parts that work on their own. Now, did they all come together? Not as well as they should, but I, I like a lot of this stuff.
0: I think the villain's plan is cool. I think Dominic Green is such a fucking boring villain, though. <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm Dominic Green. Come to my party and I'll glare at you a little
1: bit. I can, I see why you would say... I didn't read it as boring. I, re, I read it as just... I read it as, like, the goal was to make him a, a seemingly normal guy that behind the scenes, like, he's parading around as this eco-friendly guy with green planet but he's really like the leader of quantum and he's doing like some really disgusting stuff over the world in order to like he's like willing to sacrifice just everyday people in order to get like really fucked up dictators into like new positions and shit like that so i found i found the plan i agree the plan is the most interesting part but i kind of like the dichotomy of the whole normal guy but really bad behind the scenes but I can't blame you for thinking it's boring because it's certainly not as exciting as what we see before and after this, I would say.
0: Well, let's go ahead and get into the segment that Matt launched last time, Production Nightmares. And of course, if we're talking about the production of this one, we got to talk about the writer's strike. Mm. Production for this film started right around the time of the 2007-2008 writer strike. The WGA, or, or Writer's Guild of America, went on strike to demand higher wages. So essentially that resulted in no studio could hire a writer to work on their film. Yeah. So that essentially resulted in Daniel Craig and Mark Forster just doing rewrites on their own on set.
1: Yeah, uncredited, obviously, which if, if I was doing that, I would want to be uncredited, too. <laughs> I wouldn't want anybody to know that I wrote the script. But um, So what does that mean, Austin? So because Neil Purvis, Robert Wade and Paul Haggis wrote the first one, does that mean they wrote the rough draft and then just had no involvement after? I think it was actually just Paul Haggis that
0: turned in his rough draft. I might be wrong on the name there, but basically the, the remaining two, whoever it is, came on after production was done and Uh-oh. kind of did rewrites for like reshoots. Mm. But, for, but basically the way the rules of the strike worked was you can't employ a writer, but an actor and a director can work on the scenes together. So that basically made Craig and Forster the default writers during production. Jeez. I knew it was bad. I didn't realize it was that bad though. And the, and this movie caused Daniel Craig to go on and state he will never do another movie without a finished script in place first cuz he hated doing it so much. <laughs> he's basically gone he's basically gone on to say that he was fucked. Like that whenever he talks about this that's that's the line he gives about in interviews. He's like I was fucked working on this movie cuz I'm not a writer. Yeah.
1: Jesus.
2: Kind of shows in the movie. It, it definitely
1: sure. <laughs> does. I mean, I guess the easy devil's advocate is I don't think I now that we're 13 years later looking back on it yeah, it's definitely – I think the worst thing you'd say about the movie is that it's kind of conventional. Now, it doesn't come off as that dire or that bad to me. So maybe that's a good thing looking back on it. But yeah, I definitely I didn't realize how bad it was at the time.
0: Well, and, and the other challenge to this too is that they were developing an original story for this one. Mm. So they didn't have like a book or source material to work from. So like everything they're going from is an original
1: idea. So they don't even have like a source material to fall back on without their writers. All right. This was the first one, right? Because they were – after the Pierce Bros movies, they were done with all of them, and Casino Royale, even, they'd already done before, so they really were on, like, uncharted territory for the first time, and that's kind of shitty timing, you're right.
0: Um, there were also so many on-set accidents in this movie, and that, combined with the writer's strike, caused the crew to believe that the production was cursed.
1: Like what? What do you mean? Act? Like, is there an example?
0: Daniel Craig had the tip of his fingers cut off. He had his forehead gashed open. He had to get surgery and eventually had to get plastic surgery to repair a scar on his face. Jesus um, I, I think he broke a bone as well. Um, there were multiple stuntmen that got injured. There's even like a, a production assistant who was working on this movie in his home and his wife stabbed him while in production. <laughs> my God. I shouldn't laugh at that, but geez. Did they die? I don't know. if I couldn't find if he died or not. Hmm. Damn. A lot of injuries other than Daniel Craig as well. Like
1: a lot of stuntmen. I'm thinking back on it now, I'm not surprised. I mean, there's literal scenes of like people driving into each other with boats at full speed. So well, there's even <laughs> but like so
0: so a bunch of stuntmen were injured and then also like some like just Set stuff started breaking as well, like some cables broke, and I think they even had a stage, uh, like stage production burned down. Jesus,
2: they just said to do the stunts without any safety precautions. Like, no, you need to actually run this boat 100.
1: That's miles what an it hour looked like the in the movie yeah.
2: <laughs> no, no safety nets, no no mattresses to catch you on, just you just run it into the there other There were some scenes in this, I happens. was like,
1: oh my god, I did not remember <laughs> that boat chase is insane, <laughs> it's so bad. Oh my god, all right, guys. We've been dancing around it. This movie, a bit controversial, but let's talk about what people thought at the time so we can see what we think now 13 years later. So, the movie itself has a 65% on Rotten Tomatoes. The general consensus was, while brutal and breathless, Quantum of Solace can deliver tender moments along with frenetic action, but coming on the heels of Casino Royale, it's still a bit of a disappointment. Positive reviewers noted that it was a smaller, more personal story in parts. Craig's Bond was said to be nursing a broken heart and a coldly suppressed rage in this film. Craig's performance received continued praise, like I said. The locations were called out, Roberto Schaefer's cinematography, Forster's technical direction, and the most consistent positive I could find was that Mark Forster made the conscious decision to put Judy Dench's M into more of the spotlight so they could focus on her and Bond's relationship more while leaving kind of the tired Bond girl romance plots behind for the most part
0: yeah i actually read some interviews with him where he said that he felt judy dench was underused in the last movies and he wanted to kind
1: of give her a larger presence in this movie and i completely agree with that for sure reviewers seem to be more mixed on some of the casting and the decision to use more action like i mentioned before some like the brutality and the opening car chase while some felt it just became too conventional by the end i saw the question came up is james bond supposed to be an action hero so the negatives were a bit easier to find for this one. Universally, people seem to agree. Definitely disappointment when you look at the last movie, uh, which felt more apparent, I guess, since this is the first direct sequel in the franchise, so it's kind of impossible not to compare it to Casino. The screenplay was heavily criticized for being incomprehensible at times, obviously pointing to the writer's strike, not surprising. And of course, the choice of Quantum of Solace as the title was brought into question. One reviewer said, yes, it's a bad title but at least it's not Octopussy. Um, (laughs) Lastly, I got here. The film has seemingly received more positive reviews upon looking back years later. Most have called out the shorter running time, noting that many Bond films, for whatever reason, run out of steam before the end, including Casino Royale in this category, which I think we would agree with. While it didn't nail the execution, the dramatic idea and inciting incident of the movie have received praise in years since. So, boys, lots of positives here a hell of a lot more negatives. What do you guys think? What jumps out at you? What do you guys agree with? What do you disagree with? I definitely agree that the screenplay
0: feels jumbled at times. Obviously, that's that's a that's a factor of, of the writer's strike, but still they do they do jump around like crazy in this movie. Like the cuts are kind of ridiculous. Like it'll cut from Italy to Bolivia, which is like like just out of nowhere we're in, and we're in a different country. Um, so I, I do think the screenplay does get a little nonsensical at times, like they said. I think all the individual performances are great, but overall, I, this one is still kind of a letdown for me for, if you look at the entirety of Daniel Craig's films.
2: You know, I, I'm really glad they put, and I agree with what they, what they said about putting Judy Dench more in it, but I think they do that well with the following films. And this one, I just felt like they forced her in this one and at a lot of weird, awkward moments that maybe she shouldn't have been there. I like whenever she was still in London and talking to him, you know, over the phone. It just seemed like she was able
0: to like fly to everywhere he was in like two seconds. Well, and and my point about the cuts being weird is, is there's a whole sequence of events where Bond gets all his like travel cards canceled. Like he's literally at the airport, his cards get canceled, yeah, and he's like, "Shit, I can't travel anymore." Then he's just in it. Then the next scene, he's <laughs> in a different country. <laughs> he's <laughs> like, "Hanging out with Mathis Impact yeah. on the movie, yeah. But that's that's
1: kind of what I mean. Is is they enter your plot points and they don't develop them as the movie goes on. Yeah, I like I like what you said there, Keith. It's like. And maybe that's just by proxy of Judy Dench at this point being in all the Brosnan films, and then Casino at this point, and now Quantum. And it's like this is the first one that uses her in more of like in more of a capacity besides just a couple scenes in the movie. So it's like it's going to be kind of awkward at first. And I do ultimately think I know Austin brought up this point. We're going to talk about it later. It, I wish they would have used it in different ways because I love Judy Dench in the beginning of this movie whenever they're interrogating Mr. White. And at the in the last scene, she's fantastic. And to be clear, she's great throughout the movie. But then the use of her in the rest of the movie is just, I don't trust you, Bond. And he's my agent. I trust him. It's like, what? <laughs> like, it's just weird. So the execution's <laughs> bad. That being said, without this movie and, and M's use here, Skyfall doesn't work at all. And Skyfall's whole crux is the M bond stuff. So, I can I can appreciate it a little bit for that. And then before we move on, since you guys w- talked about some of the negatives and I totally agree with you, I do want to say, I think, you know, the positives that they called out at the time, there's still a lot here. I like that this Bond is kind of coming directly off the heels of Casino. He's, he's sad. He has a broken heart, as they say, but still he has that brutality under the surface. Craig's great. I like the locations. Everything looked really cool. And specifically, you know, they said Roberto Schaefer's cinematography. I wanted to call that out because I think while the movie I don't think is edited particularly well, I think it's shot very well. So I think it always looks good. I wish they would have just... They, want, they just feel like they want it to cut like every second. I wish they would have held on some scenes because it's shot so well and it looks great.
0: All right. Well, it's been 13 years since Quantum released in theaters. If anybody is listening at home that hasn't seen this recently, Matt, could you kind of give us a plot summary to remind us all what
1: happened in Quantum of Solace? I'll do my best. Everybody, Casino and Quantum, are both on Netflix So if you want to go watch it real quick and then come back, I can't blame you. But if you don't, let's see if I can run through this real quick. Here's what happens in Quantum of Solace. And I called this out last time when we were talking about Casino Royale. I was like, I really wanted this plot summary to be short. The problem is, upon rewatching Casino Royale, everything is connected to a point if I cut out even one sentence, nothing makes sense. And Quantum it's so confusing, <laughs> so bear with me, people, but I want to read this because this might be the most ridiculous thing you will hear this week. And Matt said it's confusing. If anybody listening is a director <laughs> or
0: something, pay your writers fairly so they don't go on strike <laughs> yeah. while you're filming, because yes, you might
1: end up writing your movie. <laughs> so everybody, with that said, welcome to Daniel Craig and Mark Forster's Quantum of Solace. <laughs> Moments after the previous film, James Bond has captured Mr. White and delivers him to M to find out about his mysterious organization, Quantum. M's bodyguard is revealed to be a member of Quantum, and Mr. White escapes. Looking into the bodyguard, points Bond to Haiti and discovers a hitman has been sent to kill Camille Montes at the behest of her lover, environmentalist, and entrepreneur, Dominic Green. Bond learns Green is helping exiled Bolivian General Medrano, who murdered Camille's family, to overthrow the government and become the new president, and all Green wants in return is a seemingly barren piece of desert. Bond heads to Italy and convinces his old pal, René Mathis, whose innocence was apparently confirmed after the events of Casino Royale, to accompany him to Bolivia. At a party, Bond again rescues Camille from Green. Afterwards, Bond and Camille leave the party so that Camille can show Bond the details of the mysterious Tiara project. The following day, Bond and Camille survey Quantum's intended land acquisition by air, and then, of course, their plane is shot down by a Bolivian fighter aircraft. (laughs) Oh my god. They skydive into a sinkhole and discover Quantum is damning Bolivia's supply of fresh water to create a monopoly. Pay your riders! (laughs) Pay your your riders! riders, Pay your riders! Back in La Paz, Bond meets M and learns Quantum killed Fields by drowning her in crude oil. Bond meets CIA agent Felix Leiter, who by God, why is he not in more of this movie, who discloses Green and Mandrano will meet in the Atacama Desert to finalize their agreement. Warned by Lighter, he evades the CIA's Special Activities Division when they attempt to kill him. At a really cool-looking eco-hotel in the desert, Green tells Madrano that he now controls the majority of Bolivia's water supply, and Madrano must now accept a new contract that makes Green, Bolivia's sole provider of water, at significantly higher rates. Bond infiltrates the complex, of course, though, and confronts Green. Meanwhile, Camille kills Madrano, avenging the murders of her family. The struggle leaves the hotel destroyed by fire, and Green with an axe in his foot— Bond captures Green and interrogates him about Quantum. Bond leaves him stranded in the desert with only a can of engine oil to drink. Very badass. And finally, let's wrap it up with the epilogue. Bond travels to Kazan, Russia, where he finds Vesper Lynn's former lover, Yusuf Cabrera, a member of Quantum who seduces women with valuable connections and is indirectly responsible for her death. Bond saves Cabrera's latest target from Vesper's fate... And, you know, he's been murdering everybody in this film, even people that were totally innocent. And we see some character growth because he allows MI6 to arrest him. M tells Bond she needs him back. He responds that he never left. And while walking away, he drops behind him in the snow at the necklace that Cabrera gave to Vesper. Quantum of Solace.
0: Dude, listening listening to you read that plot summary made it even more clear that there were no
1: writers on set I know. for this I know. And it's funny, because I like the movie overall, but it is ridiculous what's going on in this movie. It's funny, too, because you mentioned that this one
0: picks up moments after Casino ends. And actually, this originally wasn't supposed to be this much of a direct sequel. They wanted to do kind of something more standalone-ish. Um, and then opted to go the sequel route once the rider strike happened.
2: I do like the beginning of this movie with the car chase. I thought that was a badass way to start it off, because uh, most bomb films kind of start off kind of soft, and uh, this one just started off right in the action. So I
0: like, like it. I don't know. I think the car chase it's cool, but it's kind of long and it looks slow in a way. Like it's I don't think it's very exciting as far as car chases go.
1: Yeah, I can get that. I guess I just appreciate that it's clearly practical for the most part. Like there's actually, you know, they're filming real cars doing all this stuff. And I I think for me, that's usually enough with action sequences. Um, so yeah, I, I can admit that it, it does look a bit slow, but I kind of liked it. And to Keith's point... I feel like maybe, I mean, obviously the writer's strike, that sucked for a lot of people, but I think the whole direct sequel thing maybe might be one of those positives, positives that came of it because I liked that the kind of the Daniel Craig franchise and and clearly continue with No Time to Die is these movies are connected which was never a thing with Bonds in the past. You have the same actor, you have the same M, but they never even mention other stuff that happened. Like, you know, in Die Another Day, (laughs) Pierce Brosnan isn't talking about Goldeneye. He's not talking about Sean Bean or whatever. So I kind of like that this kind of happened, where it gave them an opportunity to tell stories over a longer period of time and pick up stuff. That being said, this is the first direct sequel to a previous Bond film, picking up immediately after Casino Royale. And I like the continuation of Mr. White's involvement, his whole escape, that action sequence, Bond learning about Vesper's supposedly dead boyfriend that led to her having to get in with the bad guys in the previous movie, and then, of course, following up on all of that at the end. I like that these threads continued, and I think I would have liked them to be the focus of the movie um, it's because they're really just the prologue and epilogue. I mean, do you guys agree, after the prologue, couldn't Mr. White have been the villain of this movie, like the main villain, like have him be the leader? Like you can have, you can do the exact same plan, just have him be the person in charge, because I've always felt like the prologue and epilogue of this movie are to tie together. They're a great like last act of Casino Royale, like what comes afterwards. I, I love the beginning and end of this movie in that sense. But then the middle part, I actually kind of like on its own, but I don't think they fit together very well at all.
0: Well, and we're gonna have to talk about the epilogue because I I think the epilogue is great, but goddamn, it comes out of nowhere. That's what I mean. Yeah, I think you made a good point, though. I think I think the middle of this film feels like a different movie than the than the beginning and the and the end yeah. do. Um, and and so yeah, I would have rather had Mister White be the main villain in this one than Dominic Green. I think uh, Matthew Almer gives a good performance, but the character as a whole I just think is so
1: boring. Yeah. What about you, Keith?
2: Yeah, it just would make more sense if he was the main character.
0: Like, why would you
2: only have him? Ten minutes of screen time in the not even ten minutes, probably like five minutes of screen time in the in the Casino, and then you give him like ten minutes of screen time in this one. Yeah, what's the even what's the point of his character now
1: if you're never even gonna like develop it? And they continue to not or don't whatever you want to say. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. I and it it's tough because I mean the writer strike was so terrible, and I don't want to shit on this movie because they had to put it out and it was just like a casualty of that. But there are some things I just don't get. I mean, I I guess on the one hand, it's like they cast Jesper Christensen in the previous movie, and I guess they were like, we'll get another actor to play a villain. But I guess I don't understand why it never crossed their mind to just be like, well, he he could escape in the beginning and then go back to Quantum and be the main villain. Again, have him do the exact same thing. Maybe Mr. White, his whole thing is... Like, his main job is he's in charge of this environmental organization. Obviously, you don't call it Green Planet, but he's in charge of that. Do the same thing. So I don't understand why both these characters are in here.
0: Or you can still do Dominic Green, but
1: just make more of an effort to show that Mr. White is the one
0: pulling the strings. They mainly just showed him as
2: co
1: Right, because we see him in that opera scene, but it's very unclear what the hierarchy is. Despite the movie, I really like the idea of Quantum as this organization. Like them sitting in the opera and kind of communicating during this. This is how they meet. The opera is my favorite thing yeah. in the movie. Yeah, like this is how they meet it's doing so this cool. weird stuff and communicating that way where nobody will know. And clearly it's just such a wide-reaching organization. And Mr. White, who we know from Casino and some of his actions, he's clearly involved. So I don't want to spoil anything, but they just abandoned this going forward. And I won't say where, but I mean, it's just like, yeah, it's just a shame because I guess this movie just didn't receive good enough praise to them. So they were like, we got to bury it. We got to bury it, like all the ideas. So it's a shame because I think they really could have developed a lot of this and had more villains be interconnected, whereas they're just not. And it kind of sucks because they could have did something cool with this. But one thing
2: I'll say about the opera scene, I thought it was hilarious whenever – Bond comes on, he's like, really, guys, this is the best
0: place you're going to meet? It's so funny. It's also the most kind of, like, spyish James Bond that we've gotten from Daniel Craig as well. I think in in both Casino and this one. Like, this is the one where he actually feels like a spy.
1: Yeah, but you know what the thing I like? I'm not even making a joke. He's kind of a bad spy. Oh, he's a terrible spy. He gets on scene in Bolivia for for two hours and already gets his cover blown.
0: (laughs) Yeah,
2: and... I know. Everybody knows who he is. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's James Bond.
0: And he he willing.
1: There's a scene where he willingly looks at a security camera at one point and lets it take his photo. I know. It's so funny. It's like. I love that they took the whole legend of James Bond from the previous iterations and applied that to the same character because he's named James Bond. But it's almost like it's the inverse. It's like he thinks he's James Bond. He who's like, I'm James Bond. Nothing's going to go wrong. And he's just an idiot, dude. Like <laughs> the scene <laughs> at the opera where he throws a guy for no reason off of a building and the guy lands on a car. Dominic Green kills him. And then M's like, Bond, that guy worked for us what the fuck are you doing? And he's just like, oh, shit, sorry. (laughs) Like, this guy's an idiot. And kind of, I kind of like it, kind of in a good way. He's just a fuck up, but he thinks he's the shit. And it kind of works as like a character arc going forward. It's just kind of silly sometimes. So moving on here,
0: um, to me, a lot of the action set pieces in this movie feel really forced. Um, I feel like Casino, all of the action made sense within the context of the plot. Whereas in this one, it's almost like, we're doing plot stuff and then we take a break to go film an action scene. The most egregious one to me being the plane chase. The plane chase I think is so forced in this movie and it just comes out of nowhere.
1: Yeah, weird scene. This is the worst one for sure. It doesn't look good and they're they're trying to figure out the villain's plot and then just out of nowhere just machine gun fire. It's like, oh, okay, another action sequence. Um and it's just silly cuz then they jump out. I love Bond's like
2: reactions. Like the plane gets shot up. And it's on fire, like all the engines are failing. And then he just pulls up, and he's he's trying to go straight up in the air. (laughs) Then he just says, screw it. And then he just dives down to the bottom of the plane. Almost gets hit by all the cargo and then just jumps out with um, a meal. It's hilarious. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And they somehow survived by, like, hugging each other and then pulling the chute. Like, 10 feet above the ground.
0: Yeah, really lucky they fell into a sinkhole. It bought them an extra 100 feet of space.
1: Oh, yeah. They would have died for sure. (laughs) You know, that being said, though, it's like I don't – I certainly don't like the plane chase, but – and and just the whole, the whole action idea, I think, probably had to do with the writer's strike as well. Just, well, we'll just rely on action because we can't have writers on set to write good dialogue and shit like that. So we'll just do action. I'm glad you said that because I was
0: actually reading some interviews with Mark Forster and, and he actually made a point to say his plan was to use action – to kind of distract from the fact that they didn't have writers for the plot. He gave an example of kind of, he
1: wanted this to feel like an 80s action movie. Yeah, well, actually, okay, yeah, that gives a lot of context. That being said, though, all all the negative aside, I think some of this stuff is good. It sounds like, Austin, you might be a bit more down on it, but I want to see what you think, Keith, because... It sounds like you and I, at least, really like that opening car chase. I thought it was awesome. The Italy rooftop chase and opera escape scenes were really fun, especially the opera escape because I loved how the opera is still going on and then they drown out all of the sound with what um, Bond is doing. So it's just like you're listening to the opera. Like, so cool, so fun. And then, dude, that scene when he gets to Bolivia for the first time and he fights that hitman and they just fall through the glass. The guy cuts his neck is holding it bond stabs him under the leg just severs everything and then the guy is just like i think i'm dying is bleeding out and then it just cuts to bond who's not even looking at him he's just looking off like to like the vista just like kind of like just hanging out chilling i was like oh my (laughs) it's i thought this was a perfect just quick fist fight that looked awesome and was I was like, oh my God, that is like one of the most low-key violent things I've ever seen. So there are some highlights for sure is what I'm saying. For me, don't love the opening car chase. The
0: rooftop scene is cool, but I think it comes too soon after the opening car chase. Um, That fistfight scene in the hotel is pretty sweet. The opera is the highlight. I think that's the best scene in the movie. That whole sequence of events is awesome. The boat chase also was terrible. (laughs) Boat chase is cool, but it's kind of forced in there. I yeah, think.
1: yeah. Well, the I think that actually now we're now that we're thinking about it, the boat chase might be the worst one, especially as it goes on, because we know Camille is trying to get in with Madrano so that she can kill him for murdering her entire family, and then. We So we, the audience, know that. And then it cuts to Bond. He's like, I'm going to save you. And we're like, no, don't, don't. And then he saves well, We don't know her. that just yet, though. I know, but it's still, it seems like she's clearly trying to, I guess you're right. We don't know that fully, but still, it's like it's just a weird scene because she's clearly okay with it. Then we cut to Bond. He chases after her, gets her, she gets knocked unconscious. He drives back and then just throws her body into some random stranger's hands, like, Take care of her for me. <laughs> yeah, she was like, Do you know
2: how long I've waited
1: to be that close to him so I could kill him? And Bond's like,
2: I apologize. I know and that was it. like that was just she the end of it.
1: she spills her soul to him. She says that he murdered my father. He she says he did things clearly, I assume, sexually assaulted or raped her mother and her sister and then killed them and, and strangled them in front of her. And Keith. But you're right. Bond really goes in reference to the fact that he didn't let her kill him. Just goes. I apologize. It's like, oh, thanks, (laughs) asshole. But dude, when she gets her face cocked by the boat, oh my god! That's like, that looks real. That's what I'm saying. That was probably a stunt woman on this set that almost died because she got hit by an actual boat. (laughs) Meanwhile, there's a PA getting stabbed in his home by his wife. It's like, what's (laughs) happening on this movie? (laughs) Bay Bay riders. Bay riders. Oh my God. We just got to call this episode <laughs> Pay Your Writers. Like no mention of Quantum of Solace in the title. It's just called <laughs> Pay Your Writers. Love it. Awesome! I got to get in close here because this one I feel passionate about. I don't know how you feel about this, Austin. I know Keith's on the same page here. You got Jeffrey Wright as Felix Leiter in here. And they, they were setting it up. Goddamn, they were. They were setting up a Bond and Lighter team up. And we get a cool scene in the bar later. Don't get me wrong. It's fun that he informs him he escapes. We needed Felix in that hotel scene. We needed them to team up and do some cool action together. It's a shame. We should have got more Jeffrey Wright. We needed him in an action sequence. I hope you guys agree with me. That's all I had to say.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. He, he definitely needs to have a bigger part in this movie. And, and actually... Uh, they filmed more scenes with him, but they just got cut down on the editing floor. A shame. He
2: definitely stole the show for me. I really enjoyed his character.
0: What about David Harbor? Did he steal the show for
2: you? Uh, not so much. I mean, his character was fine. <laughs> I mean, but he—he's I mean, barely but, in it. Yeah, but no, I—I I think Jeffrey Wright plays Felix Ladder great, and he—he's and believable as a CIA agent. And, and it's really cool that him and Bond have that special friendship. That they can just meet in a bar and just kind of talk casually and kind of put their their governments aside and just be buddies and have a drink and then warn each other about different things that are coming in the future.
1: Yeah, he doesn't sell him out in the first scene. Like, I mean, clearly this guy that Felix needs to be careful around in terms of killing him or hurting him is like, hey, I got this picture. This guy's a pest. Who is he? And then um, he's like, I don't know. And he knows James Bond, and then it cuts to David Harbour. He's like, oh, it's James Bond. How did I miss that? So it's like he's going to protect his pal. Even though they don't know each other that well, he's got his back, which I like. And I can't wait to see more of him going forward. But again, there won't be enough of him, and I will be pissed, and I will bring it up each and every episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, David Harbour
0: also does have a great line in that plane soon, though, when they're taking off and they have some turbulence, and he just goes <laughs> – Gene.
1: i know <laughs> i laughed at that too i don't even know why it's just so jade they are about to fucking crash and then the, the uh <laughs> the steward is just like sorry <laughs> it's like what why did they film this <laughs> why did they leave this in here
0: <laughs> pay your writers pay, pay your, pay your writers.
1: writers please god
0: um okay so i also do want to get into the m and bond relationship as we've said, Judy Dench is still fantastic in this movie, but the character itself seems to flip-flop pretty easily. Um, Casino, by the end, she trusts him. In Quantum, she trusts him for like 10 minutes, then she's back to not trusting him. People around Bond keep dying, so she tries to bring him in. Bond beats up some guys in an elevator, then she trusts him again, and then at the end, when he lets Yusuf live, She's once again confirming if she can trust him or not. So what do you guys think about this relationship in this movie?
2: Yeah, so, since Casino is kind of Bond's origin, we're still trying to figure out what, what M's trust issues are with Bond, I guess, if that's the right wording. Because like we talked about before, he does some crazy shit and she gets in trouble for it because she has to report to higher ups. And the guy's like, so why is Bond killing our own people? Yeah. He to explain that. <laughs> And so she's kind of... I I, Whenever she gets mad at him, I'm with her.
0: Me too. Yeah, and and I agree with you there, Keith. I just think it really is really jarring when she goes to bring him in, she makes him turn over all his weapons, he takes an elevator ride with her agents, knocks them all out, then he comes back up and she's like, hey, we're good. Like, I trust you again now. It's like, wait, was there a scene that we didn't see there where they like kind of come to terms with each other? Like, that that scene feels really forced to me. Yeah, I think
1: the... And it's tough. I mean, again, we've talked about this before in previous episodes. It's like I'm not a professional writer, so it's like for me to give an alternative take, it's like who cares? Well, you could have worked on this movie. Oh, my God. I should have. I could have – if I had literally been – if I had been an extra on this movie, I could have written the entire script apparently. Um, So, yeah, I feel like the movie can play out the exact same way, like literally the exact same way with the exception of that scene Austin's talking about. Whenever Fields dies and then she chastises him, basically fires him or at least like tells him to go home. And then he does a thing where he escapes, beats everybody up in the elevator. He doesn't need to talk to M. He needs to just leave. And then she doesn't have that stupid scene where she's like, he's my bloody agent. I trust him. And then she like weirdly smiles. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, just Cut all that out. <laughs> cut everything out and then have Bond finish the mission, go to the hotel, cut to Kazan Russia, have him go in, have him not be with MI6, have him just go and like do that and then have MI6 come afterwards and then have that same scene with M, and just have him have her be like do that classic thing you see in movies where it's like well bond i don't appreciate your methods but clearly you were onto something and you were right so i'm glad to have you and then have bond go well actually i just want to say you were right too which he does say at the end he says M was right but it's like he should apologize like I was really sad. I was in a bad place and clearly people got hurt because of it. I'm sorry. And then have that perfect last line where ever M's like, Bond, I need you back. And he's like, I never left. It's just one of those things where it's like, Austin's so right. I have no idea why they did this weird flip-flopping M with the trust thing when all they needed to do was just cut out like one line and just have them apologize at the end. And then it could have, like, really built the relationship even more. So it just comes off as so funny because it's like, he's my bloody agent. I don't care about the CIA. It's like, he (sighs) Mathis is dead. Fields is dead. He just beat up our entire staff in that one elevator. Like, this is a fucking badass drunk on the run. Like, (laughs) why do you trust him? (laughs) So it just is funny.
2: (laughs) I guess you could almost say that it's like they have their own double agency, her and Bond. Like she cuts him loose and takes his weapon and all that. I think she actually did want him to steal that gun and do, and do the thing that he needs to do to get the job done. So it's like, she has to put she has to put on an act for her government, but at the same time, he's her best agent, even though he's, even though he's kind of a dipshit sometimes, but he's
1: still her best agent because he gets the, he gets the job done. So it is unfortunate though, because again, no spoilers, but just very vague. Bond continues to the next two movies, have sex with people, and then those people are either immediately killed or they are put in immediate danger because they had sex <laughs> with Bond. So he's not learning too much. Kind of like we talked about in a
0: Casino, though. That is kind of a James Bond tradition, though. There's there's usually always two Bond girls. One of the Bond girls ends up dead, and then he always saves the other one.
1: Well, we should talk about that because I really like Camille as a character. I think Olga Kurlyenko. I wish there was more to the character, but overall, I still think there's so much more to it than most of the, you know, quote unquote, Bond girls we get. I really liked her. I mean, she's kind of like, because they say she's Bolivian Secret Service. She's kind of like, you know, a version of Bond who just hasn't had the opportunity yet to have that personal kill, which is what they talk about at the end of the movie. that He's like coaching her through how this kill is different because it's personal. And I really like how she's also kind of Bond in the sense that she has sex with Dominic Green, like they say in the movie, just to get in with him and find out more and get closer to Madrano, which we see Bond do in countless movies. So I really liked her as a character. I also really like that Bond doesn't seduce her either. He doesn't. And God, it's another one of those things that you just need to cut out two seconds I love their relationship. It's perfect until the last scene. It's like, why does he kiss her? Also, that's it feels improvised because she looks so surprised when it happens. And maybe that's her being a good actress. To me,
0: that doesn't feel like a that doesn't feel like a sexual kiss though. I agree. I like agree. A, it's we've not. We've been through so much
1: together. Kiss. I I completely agree. That being said, it could have been simpler. Like, wouldn't it have been really cool to see this? Really, just sexual being and bond who sometimes is really just gross. Like if he had just like kissed her on the cheek or if he had like hugged her genuinely, that could have been really cool. Instead. He just like, what if he'd sucked on her finger? That would have been, I mean, (laughs) Keith, we know Keith would have been down for that. I mean, he loves that scene with Vesper in the first movie. (laughs) Oh no, That's my point. It's like, they really, I thought nailed it the whole time. And then like, he just kisses her. Uh, So at least she leaves. She doesn't say anything. So it's not bad. Fields is the more traditional thing. Like you said, Austin. And, I really liked her, too. Obviously, she's used as a plot device in the sense that, you know, because of what he did to seduce her, she is killed for it, and it's really sad. But, you know, I I feel like the characters in this movie, the Bond girls, at least you could say, are better than most. I honestly think Camille is more of a standout
0: than Bond is in this movie. I really like uh, Olga's performance here, and I think the character is awesome in this movie. I honestly could go for a standalone Camille movie.
1: I think, yeah, I think it's a really underrated performance. I feel like... I think I might agree. I think she gives a better performance. Daniel Craig is just kind of doing more of the same. Nothing wrong with that because I love him as Bond for sure. Um, yeah, I, I liked what they did in this movie with these characters. Um, and I think on rewatches, it just gets better. Even with stuff as little as Fields agreeing to go to the party, essentially being out in the field. And whenever she trips uh, Green's like henchmen down the stairs, and then you find out later, oh, she was she was just like an office employee. And the fact that like she did that. It's kind of cool. It kind of makes her more like, oh, that's interesting. I kind of like it more development and depth to that character. And it makes it all the more sad that she's killed just by having a remote association with Bond. So I think, yeah, I, th- I really do think people should rewatch this movie. I think there's more to it is what we're saying.
0: What do you guys think of the return of Mathis in this one? I actually kind of felt bad when he died.
1: I was so, I was yeah, so sad. He had a pretty cool it's retirement pretty, going on living in, like tragic
2: this, death. living in this beautiful Italian home. And with a, like a hot wife.
0: And then now now, now he's just in a trunk of a car. And then he gets thrown at two cops. I love the scene when Bond shows up at the house. It's perfect. It's awesome. So good, dude. This is the man that tortured me. Then the wife is like, he is also the man that got to this
1: house. <laughs> see, you, right? you owe him. And then Bond smiles. <laughs> Clearly he understands what she's saying. Perfect.
2: He's like, don't give him any of the fine wine. Then you just see Then it cuts to Bond drinking the wine. That was fun.
1: And then, uh, it's like so we great. talked about, I mean, the scene where he, I don't even know what you would say. I mean, because Bond drinks so much, I don't know if you would say that he was drunk, but I think they say he's had six to eight drinks on the plane. Mathis wakes up and talks to him. And that scene, I really do feel like, for a movie that didn't have writers on set, is pretty powerful. I mean, he's talking about, like, I, I think Gian, Giancarlo Giannini is so good as Mathis. I wish we could have seen more, but his death is effective. But that scene is so great. I mean, he's talking to him and he's like, Look, I know I was found innocent, which means that Vesper lied. But that being said, at this point, you should understand why you don't have to forgive her, but forgive yourself for your involvement and also recognize the fact that she died for you. You know, she betrayed you, if you want to look at it that way. But she did love you. She did care about you. So at least acknowledge that. And then, dude, the line whenever Bond is just sitting there clearly dazed and it's like the middle of the night and they're on this plane and he's the only one at the bar and Mathis is like, do you want a sleeping pill? And he's like, no. And he's like, do you want a pain pill? And then Bond kind of laughs. And he's like, no. And then Mathis is like, I have pills for everything. I have pills that will make you taller. I have pills that will make you forget. And then Bond just like, he looks so sad. And I was like, this scene is so good, dude. <laughs> this scene is great. It also gives a, a little bit more uh, depth to Mathis' this character because he is kind of the older Bond. Yeah. Like
0: he's been through... Bond's entire life. And he's he's lived to be an old spy, which is hard to do in this
1: industry. Yeah, And then following up on that in the death scene, it's so good. It's just I wish that it wasn't so weirdly like blocked and how I mean, he's basically a human shield. It's, it's just gross. It's weird. I think that's the point, though. I agree. I think, I think he's supposed to be the human shield.
0: I think it's supposed to show that Bond is still willing to do whatever it takes to accomplish this mission. And he threw Mathis
2: in a dumpster and she's like, is that how you treat your friends? And he's like, he wouldn't have cared. And he's probably right. Mathis probably would have probably wouldn't have cared.
0: They don't make it very clear of who gave the orders for Mathis' death. Is it that police chief that Mathis thought was his friend? Is it Mister White? Is it Mister Green? Like nobody really knows where the orders came from.
1: The part that's kind of really vague as well is that whenever that trunk opens, if Mathis is just dead, it's like oh shit, and then they arrest Bond. Things can play out the same way. Maybe he escapes. I don't know. But then you find out he's unconscious. It's like, oh, does Bond know that? Because then, like, get him out. Get him I out. Think Bond thinks he's dead. Which yeah, you, you have no, to I hope. You have to hope so. Because if he knows he's unconscious, the way he picks him up is he can only be used as a, <laughs> a human shield. <laughs> and then they just shoot him. So I agree with you, Austin. I think, like, there's elements of, like... Yes, he needs to be able to do what he's willing to do. I also agree with you, Keith. And this, I think it's just such a confusing scene when, why is it so confusing? doesn't need to be, but it certainly is. <laughs> Pay your writers. Pay your writers. But again, it's like you got to take the positive when you get it. Whenever he... After all this happened, Bond kills the uh, the cops, and he's holding him there. And it's like one of the few times we actually see Bond, like I mean, he's like cradling this man, like as he's dying. And it's a very sweet scene. Bond seems to be like about to cry because he knows he has like responsibility for it. And you, you know, he, again, he reiterates, you got to forgive Vesper, forgive yourself. And and Bond Bond actually does apologize. He was like, "I should have been watching you at the party. That's my bad." So it is. A, it does end up being a sweet scene. So we, I got to acknowledge that at least.
0: One uh, one weird thing I got to bring up, though, with Mathis' character, it's not even really Mathis' fault, but kind of weird that Bond takes these photos of all these people at the opera scene, he sends it to MI6, takes them days to identify these people, he shows them to the Mathis, and he goes, oh, yeah, I know that <laughs> guy, I know that guy, I know that guy. It's like, That's what? my best
1: friend. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. It's also, I mean, Wait, they're it, Daniel? A- yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're able to get pictures with literally just like the back of their head. Like there's multiple pictures that Daniel Craig's Bond takes of just their hair. And it's like, oh, that's that guy. I got him in the <laughs> yeah. system because of like facial recognition. It's like, okay, I'll take it. Besides
2: the no writing thing, we've already covered that enough. Is there anything else that this movie is missing that
0: I'm just not seeing? Or, or is it just the writing? I think it's missing a strong villain. I think that's the biggest difference between this movie and Casino. I think Le Chiffre in Casino is actually really good as a villain. I think there are some... He does take kind of a weird trajectory towards the end, but the dynamic him and Bond have together is so interesting and compelling to watch. Even when they're just sitting
1: playing cards,
0: it's an engaging
1: scene. Yeah, here's the thing. Uh, casino Royale, Mads Mickelson had the benefit of working with a director that wanted to do the traditional Bond villain thing of like, we need to have something distinguishing about you. So we're going to have your eye be weird. You're going to bleed from the eye. You also have asthma. So you're going to be like doing an inhaler all the time. So that's like your whole thing. So he, for one, is already like a traditional Bond villain. And you have Mads Mikkelsen giving a very kind of flamboyant, exciting, loud performance while still being quiet, but it's just very kind of Outward, if you know what I mean. Like, it's not a normal person. So you have that in favor of it. And then Austin's totally right. The one thing this movie does not have is LaShief and Bond develop kind of a rapport over the movie, not in a good way, like like kind of like hero villain type thing that's really fun to watch. The chief's plan, though, is garbage. I think his motivation and plan is absolutely horrendous. The one thing that Dominic Green has over that is, I think his plan is pretty. It's inc- it's pretty great in the grand scheme of things with Bond. I think it's you, it's so easy to track. It makes so much sense, and it's so evil that it's like, oh my god! Like by the end. Whenever Bond just throws from the motor oils like, I bet you'll walk twenty miles before drinking that It's perfect. I love it. The one thing that's different is I think Austin's right that- uh Matthew Almerich does give a good performance, but it's kind of like the thing is like you compare with other villains, and it's not so exciting because they purposely made him so normal, and then he has almost no interaction or rapport with Bond. And that's kind of the thing that's that kind of brings it down for me. That's the one thing I wish they could have found more scenes to make that happen. Because by the end, whenever they're fighting, it's like, I guess they've met each other like once, kind of briefly at a party. They know each other, but it's not like it doesn't feel cathartic when they kind of come together because they haven't really talked at all. And
0: I think the other thing, too, that I really like about Casino is throughout the movie, you can see Bond messing up LaSheep's plan. And you can see how much it frustrates sheath, and you don't really get any of that in Quantum. Either. That's
1: true. That's a really good point.
0: I also was reading that that they wanted the theme of Casino to be terrorism, and they wanted the theme of this one to be environmentalism. Yeah. So that's kind of why we shift to
1: more of an environmentally focused uh, plan. I like. I mean that that part I do like about it. I, I like that aspect.
2: Both good points. Yeah. I you know actually I didn't even think about that what you said, Matt. Uh, like, there's really no good action between. Uh... Bond and uh, Green, really. Just Green hitting Bond repeatedly with a crowbar until they fall off yeah. the balconies, wherever they
1: were wherever they were. Terrible tight scene. <laughs> yeah, terrible. So, our last point with Casino Royale was that it felt overlong. That movie is two hours and 20 minutes. This movie is 40 minutes shorter. And personally... Well, like I've said before, I don't love how it's edited. I do like the pacing. I like how events move, and I like how the movie itself just kind of moves along at a pretty steady, fun, fast pace. So I was curious what you guys thought of that, because, I mean, we we entered a conversation last time with, this movie is so long, the third act is so kind of bland, and just like, how is this movie not over yet? And this one is so much shorter. So what do you guys think of the pacing, the actual runtime, and all that good stuff?
0: It's certainly quick. Um, I was reading that Mark Forster wanted this movie to be he didn't like that casino was so long so he purposely came in planning to make a shorter movie and he said he wanted it to feel like a speeding bullet wow
2: wow yeah same for me it felt really quick
0: maybe that goes to our points going earlier
2: like there wasn't too much story in this one i mean there's just more action so maybe that's why it felt quicker
0: yeah i I think it makes the cuts feel more egregious too because we are moving so quick it's like we're going to cut here. We're going to cut to Italy. We're going to cut to Bolivia. It's like, whoa, how did we get here so fast? Yeah, so that's true. That, I think that kind of is that you do run the risk there when you are trying to move so quickly is, is if you don't have good editing and good cutting, it's going to feel kind of more dramatic to the audience.
2: Yeah, it's true. They really weren't in one particular location for an extended period of time. They were all over the place. They were all over that's the
1: world. That's true. Yeah. They were constantly <laughs> moving. Um, And yeah, since I brought up the fact that I think our least different part of Casino Royale, which we all agreed is a really great movie, our least different part was the third act itself. So I guess the third act here, would I guess you would just basically kind of consider it once they leave for the desert, go to the hotel, and then all the stuff after that. So I was curious, even though this movie is shorter, what you guys think of all the action at the hotel, the epilogue, how everything wrapped up and all that good stuff?
0: So I like the closure that Camille gets in the hotel. I thought that was an awesome moment for her character. It's so weird, though, that there's like this throwaway conversation between two guards where they're they're sitting in the hotel and there's all this, the hotels just in the middle of a desert, by the way, for people who are having a hard time remembering this movie. It's literally just in the middle of a desert and there's explosions going off in the background and there's two guards who literally just go, oh, don't mind it. This hotel's built on fossil fuels. So that happens every now and yeah. then. It's like, what? <laughs> I don't what? know. <laughs> I don't <laughs> what know. <laughs> did you just say to me?
1: <laughs> uh, I guess you got to pay your writers for that one. I don't know. Yeah, that that was weird. That was really weird. Bay riders! Weird. <laughs> Bay riders! What about you, Keith? Any, any standouts? Because for me, we got to call this out. Dominic Green, dude, that shot of him running slow-mo through the fire while the, while the glass next to him is breaking, I was like, oh, that's cool looking.
2: Yeah, so I mean, what did you guys think about the whole Vesper boyfriend thing? I mean, does it make sense or was it kind of just, you think it was kind of just thrown in there to wrap things
0: up quick? I love the scene, but I remember being confused in theaters. And I was confused again here just where it comes from. They don't give us any context in the movie, I I don't think. They they don't mention that, oh, by the way, we need to track down Yusuf. Like, it feels like the movie's ended when we say goodbye to Camille, and then all of a sudden they're like, hey, by the way, we're
1: we're now in Russia with Yusuf and his
0: and his Canadian spy girlfriend. We still never
2: got closure with Mr. White either, right?
1: Yeah, the Mr. again, the Mr. White stuff, I know, you know, we may or may not come back to it in the future, but it's just So weird to see him at the opera and that's the last time we see him after the beginning of this movie and the end of the last one just seems odd. But yeah, to your point of the epilogue uh, and Austin's point, I really like the epilogue in a vacuum. It's really great. It's just – I love it Yeah, it's just whenever you compare it to what just came before for the last hour, that's when it's like, oh. And in the very beginning, we see him telling Bond – Oh, this is Vesper's boyfriend. He was found dead, but we don't think it's him. And then Bond, like, as she looks away, he like, grabs like the info and like hides it or whatever. So it's like, I'm going to come back to this. The only thing I can even say for Devil's Advocate, and it's not a strong point, it's just that in the last scene with Camille, she has gotten her lifelong revenge and she tells Bond, I wish I could set you free in terms of like getting that personal revenge. But she's like, but your prison isn't that. It's in your head. And then it cuts to Russia, and it's like him ostensibly either choosing to kill Vesper's boyfriend that led to her death would be him doing the same thing that Camille just did. That's the only connection. It's not great, and it's certainly not presented very well, but I think that's what they were probably going for. It's like, we just got Camille's stuff, and then she's like, I wish I could set you free, and we'll make the epilogue him trying to set himself free, which I guess you could argue he does by not killing him and then telling M that he's coming back, so— that's all I could really say.
0: You want to know why this scene may be so good in a vacuum? Hmm. It's actually based on a short story called 007 in New York by Ian Fleming. So they actually did have source material for this scene.
1: In what sense? Like what kind of went down there?
0: It's like the kind of the same sequence of events. Bond confronts um, another a foreign terrorist and his girlfriend who's a spy
1: in a hotel. Oh. So they kind of took that. Okay. Yeah. And I do like that he saves somebody from Vesper's fate. I think that's a really cool addition. They could have just had him confront Yusuf, but I liked that we could see something starting similarly and Bond prevented that. And, oh, you have the same necklace. He gave one to my friend too, very close to me. So the ending's great. And like we talked about, I think the beginning's great. It's just, it's so weird to me still, even for a movie that, again, I, I like. I don't understand why the beginning and ending are their own thing. And the middle of this entire middle of the movie is a different yeah. story. And it's weird, Austin. Awesome. The weirdest part is the movie presents itself like it's not different. You know what I mean? It's like they 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 pretend like the Mr. White stuff leads directly to Dominic Green. And like, it's the same story. Like, I'm getting my personal revenge. And it's like, what? Whenever in the sinkhole, Camille's like, oh, did Dominic Green hurt someone you love? And he's like, yes, he did. It's like, What? He didn't, did he, did he, did he have involvement with Vesper? And then at the end, like I talked about already, never Dominic Green's like, you said you were going to let me live. I answered all your questions about quantum. And then you, the audience are like, oh, the organization's called quantum. They've literally never said that. That's funny. Um, and it's like what he's referencing didn't happen. I guess we're supposed to assume it happened. In the I film. know. So it's just so weird. Like the movie <laughs> tries to pretend like the entire thing is cohesive, whereas the beginning and end are their own thing. They're like one long epilogue to Casino Royale. And then the middle is Quantum of Solace. And they work separately, but together, it's just baffling that they try to pretend that it was the same thing. Like I've been
0: saying throughout this episode, my least favorite things are the villain and the editing
1: in this movie. Editing is bad, for sure, for sure. So again we get that great shot of uh Bond saying he's back walking away in the snows of Russia and dropping Vesper's necklace thus kind of leaving her behind so he doesn't have to hold that kind of sadness and all that stuff in anymore. And of course Keith, for the first time, and Austin, as we're all Bond fans, did you guys love that once it cuts to credits we do see the fir- we see the first like, official classic Daniel Craig doing the gun barrel thing as Bond? Like doing like the three white circles in the black comes through shoots. And then we get that James Bond theme, which again, they're just teasing us. They're teasing us throughout this movie with that Bond theme. But what do they give us a lot of? They give us a lot of Jack White and Alicia Keys, Another Way to Die, in the intro. And similarly with Casino Royale, they kind of use it orchestrally throughout the movie as well during some scenes. So, I mean, now that we're bringing it up, we got to talk about it. Because this song is the first duet for, um, you know, Bond songs, if you will. And it's so different from Chris Cornell's You Know My Name from Casino Royale. So what would you guys think of this? What did you guys think of the song? And what would you think of kind of the way the intro looked? Because this is so iconic Bond. So how would you think this one fit in?
0: I didn't like... I like the intro and the iconic stuff. I just... I don't like the song at all. I think the song is kind of too in your face. We almost had Amy Winehouse writing the theme to this one. And I think that would have been so much better. But the studio felt... The studio felt the safer choice was Jack White and Alicia Keys, so they went that way instead. You no, know, dude,
1: it sucks, man. It sucks, man.
2: It was an interesting <laughs> song. I don't. I don't think the song sucks. I just think it. It kind of sucks for a Bond film.
1: It's certainly different for me. The thing I love about Bond songs is for for them to be successful for me, they have to be fifty fifty. the artists they choose, it has to be something that they would... It has to be their style. And then the other 50, it has to feel like a Bond thing. You know what I mean? So it's why I love Casino Royale. Well, I have good news for you, Matt, because our next movie, uh, Skyfall... Skyfall is the best. Skyfall is the perfect balance of that. Did Sam Smith nail it? I think he probably hit a zero... He hit a fucking goose egg for Spectre. And Keith, I was gonna say, you know it's funny because Amy Winehouse and Mark oh, <laughs> Amy Winehouse and Mark Ronson were gonna do this one, but because of her like kind of legal stuff, they couldn't. It's a shame. I-, I do like Another Way to Die. I like it more, but it's not my favorite. There could be a but to that point though, there there could be a whole list of people that were supposed to do Bond songs and then never did. Keith, do you know who was supposed to do Spectre, by the way, as a little tease for the Spectre episode? Because they got Sam Smith. Do you know who was supposed to do it? Radiohead. Radiohead recorded a song called Spectre. And they said, no, it's too dark. So you know what we'll do? We'll get Sam Smith wailing into a microphone for five minutes. Guys, in one month's time, we'll be talking about Spectre. Be sure you come back wherever you get your podcasts, because I am going to shit all over it. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> this is matt's um attack of the clone if you will but keith we
0: also almost got sir paul mccartney doing this oh. song as well when amy winehouse when they when they couldn't go with amy winehouse damn, that
2: maybe could have been all right I, I'll, I'll have to think about that one
0: okay well you think about it keith and you let me know <laughs> on the next time i do a bomb movie but we're gonna wrap this one up today guys let's get into our podcast awards if this is your first episode of the arnies this is a segment where we give an award for anything in this episode keith Sometimes know the rules, but he always starts us off. Keith, go ahead and start us off today.
2: Okay, well, I mean, I'm between two different awards here and two different people getting these awards. I'm kind of I'm tired, so I'm going to say both, and you guys decide which one's please, better. Please, please. So first first award goes to best cameo, and that cameo goes to the Italian lady that drops her fruits and screams <laughs> something in Italian whenever, whenever Daniel Craig hits the rope and her fruits fall all the way to the bottom she goes ah the mist on the knee and she yells something <laughs> I, saw, now, I started laughing my ass off at that moment that's
1: pretty good that's pretty good what else What else um, you got what's your other one
2: and then the other one goes to uh, creepiest haircut award goes to uh, Dominic Green's henchman's uh <laughs>
1: <laughs> the guy, with yeah. the toupee, whenever he falls down and the stairs, and
2: also dumbest looking neck
1: brace goes to that guy too. Oh, that was so, <laughs> so funny so to me. That was so funny. I think you got to go with the haircut. Keith. I don't know. I think I might go through. I might go towards Fruit Lady. So I'll let you decide that one, Keith. I like I like both of them a lot though.
2: Uh, yeah, let's go. We'll go with the creepiest haircut award.
1: That's fair.
0: To That's fair. All right, my award today is going to James Bond, and it is the original Captain America award for the elevator scene. We all know the Mm. elevator scene is iconic in the MCU, but James Bond did it
1: first. And I think people are sleeping on that.
2: I like it. I like it. I like it, Austin.
1: And for my award today, I'm giving one out that I feel kind of sad to give because it's a sad occasion, but it is the most deserving. If I think about the category and my award is for the most lonely. And that goes to, Renee Mathis's beautiful wife, who for the rest of her life, I guess, will live in that villa alone and not be able to have him put sunscreen on her body like she asked for. Um <laughs> And honestly, it's a shame because whenever she asked him to do that, we don't even know if he got to do it one last time before he left. Um I hope he did for her sake and for his sake. Instead, he died and was his body was found in a dumpster and... Apparently, that's what he wanted, as Bond said. And it kind of begs the question, does anybody want that? Even if they're a cool guy, (laughs) even if you're a cool kind of old school guy, do you want to be found in a dumpster?
0: I don't know. There is a way to look on the bright side for the wife. Maybe she'll meet a nice man or woman that'll buy her expensive wine that she likes
1: because she does complain that he only buys cheap wine. I mean, James Bond, maybe it's not out of his M.O. to go back there and just start a relationship with her. (laughs) I mean, I could see that happening. I could see that happening.
0: (laughs) All right, everybody. Well, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss any of our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing this with a friend, that really is the best way to help us continue to grow the show at The Arnie's is our social and the TheArnie's.media is the website. We will be back on Tuesday for a very fun Dungeons and Dragons episode. And we'll also have a
1: guest host, Dungeon Master Nick from the Very Good Adventuring team. Very excited for that. I mean, it could go so many ways. The three of us have never played D&D. And, you know, with everything going on in the world, having to do virtual stuff, you know what? We might as well knock it out. I'm excited to see how it goes. And it's cool that you guys out there will be able to listen to it for our very first time. I think this will be kind of fun. And like I mentioned at the top... We are reviewing each and every episode of WandaVision on Disney Plus as they come out. So check your podcast feeds because we put out a review of the first episodes already. And going forward, each and every week, you'll have that until it is done. And since this episode is part of our bi-monthly James Bond in-review series, come on back in two weeks where we will review, revisit, and break down Skyfall.
2: Yeah, and check us out on Instagram at the arnies please direct message us your thoughts on this episode and upcoming episodes uh please give your please give us your thoughts on your rewatch of Quantum of Solace did you enjoy it watching the second time or do you still hate it also <laughs> please give us your favorite or if you already have one your character for Dungeons and Dragons we want to we want to hear those
0: yeah tell us your class tell us your race are you a uh... A dwarf elf? Are you a a human knight? We don't we don't really know him. But we're, we're gonna, gonna figure it out. I, I
1: promise. Think. I'm gonna do my best.